Welcome back to America's leading higher education podcast, The EdUp Experience, where we make education your business. Hosts Dr. Joe Salustio, Elizabeth Liba, and producer Elvin Freites bring you the brightest and most influential minds in higher education today. We explore innovations, ideas, and issues in higher education and beyond, and hopefully have a little fun along the way. Now let's get to it. Interested in some fresh marketing ideas that have been real-world tested by colleges and universities and actually work? We'd love to share. Come download MDT Marketing's free 2020 Marketing Strategies Guide, filled with stats and highlights on digital marketing initiatives exclusively for colleges and universities. Download the Strategies Guide for free at learn.mdtmarketing.com. MDT Marketing has been a leader in delivering marketing solutions for institutes of higher education since 1995. Come leverage our knowledge and download our strategies guide at learn.mdtmarketing.com. Welcome back, everybody. This is the Edipix, where we make education your business, interviewing the brightest and most influential minds in higher education today. Speaking of bright and influential, the only reason I came up with this bright and influential thing is because it's a good segue for you, Liz. Speaking of bright and influential, my <laughs> outstanding co-host, Liz Liba. How are you today, Liz? I'm doing great. I've graduated from superb to outstanding, so I couldn't be better. Thank you so much for that amazing introduction, and how are you today? I'm doing well, and every episode will come with a new adjective to describe you. Because you're <laughs> I that do good. appreciate that. I appreciate All that, right. and I really do. Well, I'm, I'm very excited, and I know you are too, Liz, because we have... On the line, Dr. Larry Shaw, President of New England Commission of Higher Education. Larry, how are you doing today? I am doing well. Excited to be with you. I'm in, I'm in my office all by myself. Not, not just my wow. office. I'm in the, the entire office. I'm by, by myself. Yeah, I guess uh, that is the new state of high, that's the new state of, of the office work from home environment. That you get a, a big office all to yourself, right? Yep, and uh, working at home doesn't generally work for me, so I, I come in here and it's, it's, it's safe and uh, quiet. Well, before we jump into it, uh, we want to know how you're doing. How's your health? How's your, how's your family uh, during these unprecedented times we live in? We always like to know how our guests are doing from a personal perspective. Yeah, I appreciate your asking. We're all, we're all good. My wife, Betty, and I got in the car just four weeks ago and made the drive up north from, uh, from Atlanta stopped to see some friends and relatives along the way, and we're getting settled in a furnished apartment in Cambridge for a while till we sort of figure out what, where we're going to land. But, uh, no, things are good. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's good to be in New England. Well, and, and uh, that, that implies that you haven't always been there. And I think uh, for our audience that uh, you were appointed uh, the president of uh, New England Commission uh, and began your tenure somewhere in June. Is that uh, June of this year, 2020? Does that sound uh, accurate to you? Uh, actually, July 20. So um, July 20. Okay. Yeah, this is uh, this is the beginning of week four for me, and um, I, I've I've uh, I've made it to week four. 
<laughs> well, you sound pretty calm. Uh, you're, you know, made it to week four. You're dealing with like around 225 uh, institutions uh, under your your purview and in, in accrediting uh, a body. So, how's that going so far? How's the transition been for you to get your arms around everything that's going on? Uh, which, you know, of course, uh, a year ago or two years ago might have been easier, uh, but now it's more complicated. How's the transition been going for you? I think it's gone well. It's um, we've got a great team here, very experienced. Um, these are these are interesting times, as we'll t- we'll talk about. But uh, it was about 18 months ago. I, I was about to enter my 15th year as as president of Oglethorpe University in Atlanta, and I, you know, 15 years is a it's a good run, and I thought that Oglethorpe was doing very well, and it would be be a good time to. Uh, to make a transition, and um, I had always thought, you know, if you stay around long enough as a president, uh, even if even if you've had success, then something eventually does happen, and uh, you never know what it, what it is or when it's going to happen. But I thought I've had a good run, and just would be a good time to to head for the hills. And turned out I. I timed it pretty well. It's it's a really hard time to be to be the president of a college or university right now for um, you know not not just because of uh, not just because of COVID, but I think all the issues that are sort of floating around in the country and and uh, are you know as important and as relevant on college campuses as they are anywhere. And so I'm delighted to be here. It's it's not easy, and and again, these are these are stressful times for all of us. But it's um, I'm glad to be in a different role. Well, talk to me real uh, quickly. Can you describe the landscape of accreditation right now? And, and the reason I ask the question in that way is because you're newly appointed. You've come on board. Um, you must have colleges lined up for something right whether it's a new program whether it's a merger it's a consolidation it's a uh a expansion it's the acquisition i think there's a lot of schools that have made moves or are looking to make moves and some of them need to move very quickly so i'm imagining you open up your portfolio and you see this list of universities and colleges looking to make moves all are wanting something right um something reviewed a new program and this what's the landscape look like from your view right now on on accreditation services? Well, there's a lot of movement. I mean, you're absolutely right. Right now, um, you know, we had almost 100 of our institutions prior to COVID did not have uh, general approval to teach online, to teach remotely. And they got a waiver in the spring, and they got a waiver this fall. Uh, But our expectation is that that the end, at the end of this fall, that waiver will be over with. And so we've asked uh, all of those 100 institutions that if they thought they were going to be teaching online or remotely come January 2021, that they needed to come to us this fall uh, at one of our two fall meetings and seek approval to uh, to do that. And our expectation was that Every one of them would, and uh, I think that's uh, that's what we're seeing. Um, that 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 all of them, or maybe maybe one or two, won't. But I I'm not sure who that would be. So we had to create a 
you know, we have a commission of 29 commissioners that typically meet four times a year. This, this year they're going to meet at least five because of the weight of the business. And, and on top of all the all the work that we've got on a normal basis, we've got these almost 100 schools coming to us um, with an application. And uh, uh, we've sort of expedited the process. We've shortened the form. Um, we're probably going to, uh, you know, typically you'd either give a school thumbs up or thumbs down on an application. We're probably going to, um, as we approve schools, we may approve them for a shorter time period, for a year or two years, to so they can come back to us. And um, just so many of them have never done this before, and they're going to need to sort of have evidence that they're doing it well. So that's that's one big new thing for us, and I suspect that's that will be the case across the country. Um, we've also asked all of our institutions to submit a financial and enrollment report in um, October, uh, some data about what the fall looks like for them. Um, in, from an enrollment point of view, what was, what's the financial impact been of COVID? Um, how they've been addressing those two issues? And so the reason we're doing that now, as you can imagine, is that the um, you know rather than waiting for an audited financial statement to show up, um, you know they typically you're you're once they show up you're already behind. Uh, you know, you could be a year, year and a half behind. So we, we want to know this fall um, how our schools are managing this, which ones uh, have been maybe pushed to the edge, um, which ones may be headed off, the, headed off the edge of the table. So that's a whole new process that we've put into place. And then on the public side, this is something, I mean, I come out of the private side of higher ed. It's, um, but on the public side, you're also seeing probably more more activity, more transitions than you maybe ever seen. We've, we've just concluded a process with the state of Maine where they've consolidated their seven public institutions into one. We've got the, you know, the uh, community college system in Connecticut of the 12 community colleges looking to do a similar thing. They're in a much earlier stage. Um, in Vermont, I guess it was uh, before, I, before I showed up, but you know, there was an attempt to thin the ranks of the public institutions, actually close some public institutions for Vermont. That didn't happen, but there's been some mergers. So there's a, um, even before COVID, there was really an acceleration of, of this as the demographics don't you know? Don't don't look all that promising in New England as you go out, and then the state budgets are being cut and slashed. It's going to make this, I think, more even more pressing. So there there's there's a lot going on, and um, uh, it's hard to know at the moment where it'll all land. But most most of all, this stuff comes through us. Well, and <clears throat> to your point, back to the original point you were making about the 100, 100 plus or institutions that are that have never done on, on online learning before having to transition to it you know waiver waiver 
now you need to submit you need to submit sub changes for your programs you need to make sure that your um, PLOs uh, are equal to what they were on, on ground you have to talk about engagement and student services and and really get the program assessed and so is that is that part of the reason why you you might see a shorter review time frame you know where you're you're approving that <clears throat> that program to be delivered online for you know six months or a year instead of the four years or however it works um, because you want to be able to come back and assess it because everything's going to be moving so quickly. Yeah, I mean we 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 need the institutions to be able to provide us you know data around around outcomes and you know you if you're if you're brand new at this and it's the first semester you're doing it or the second semester you're doing it it's really hard to 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 be comprehensive in terms of your assessment so um yeah and i think there will be some cases where we don't don't grant a general approval um forever but we do it for for a time period so that they can come back to us so that'll be that'll be probably half of those goals will be in front of the commission and at our September meeting and in the other half at our November meeting. Well, it sounds like you have your hands full. Liz, you want to jump in and ask some questions? <laughs> For sure. I have a question because you hit on a keyword that I think is really important, which was outcomes as a online faculty member also for a decade or so, also working as an instructional designer. I think that sometimes schools that have not necessarily, and Joe can probably attest this from working in this space, in the online education space, don't necessarily understand what outcomes need to look like. We are, those of us that have also worked face-to-face, -face, we, we understand in the classroom what we want to deliver and, and how that needs to look. But if you're thinking about a school or faculty or staff, um, as far as administrative staff that are trying to now deliver programs, those same programs online and try to look at what outcomes should look like and, and how to best meet the needs of their students and also the accrediting body, how they need to navigate that process to ensure that they're also meeting the standards of what accreditation requires. What advice or guidance would you provide or, or what do you think for those, especially faculty members that maybe don't understand what the institution needs to uphold in terms of accreditation standards and outcomes? Is there any maybe key strategies or tips that you would give from a bird's eye view from the accrediting perspective as to how we, as a country now, higher education needs to pivot to ensure that we are meeting quality outcomes for our newly um, brought on board students that will be probably for the foreseeable future, at least until this um, comes down some, taking classes online? So that, you know, I've been in higher ed for 30 years now, and I think the, the whole issue of where the focus of accreditors and an institution uh, are has, has been evolving. And so, I mean, I remember, I go back to my first probably second and third experience with accreditors. Obviously, I was on the other side of the table, and it always seemed to me that, you know, they were more interested in how many books we had in the library than did students come out of school sort of literate in terms of, in terms of their ability to, 
to use a library or to do research. And so that, you know, there's been, and it goes back decades now, there's really been a shift from, from the accreditor's perspective to focus more on outputs than inputs. And um, and we and that's been the case at, at Nechi and and um, we're going through our you know we we uh, every ten years we solicit our members and do a fairly significant change in terms of our standards. We're now we're in 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 the mid mid year process mid mid term the fifth year they we go through a sort of smaller one and we're we're doing that now and. One of the emphases that that we continue to um, to make and, and the shift and the shift on our point part is this focus on outcomes um, and student success more than how many books you have in the library or you know uh, what your facilities are, et cetera. So you know it's the an assessment. I mean, I I remember. So you don't have to go back that far, you know, 10, 10, 10 years probably at Oglethorpe when you would try to work with faculty to sort of think about, sorry, when you had to sort of, you know, think about um, talking to faculty about, you know, how they assess their, their, uh, their work and their teaching, and you'd often sort of hear, you know, it's sort of, you know, what happens in that seminar room is magic, and it's really hard to quantify, and and there's a lot of truth to that, but um, you know, we're past that, and so it, it it's a it's a difficult thing, I think, for us in the industry to to um, to change that focus from from inputs to outputs, and and it's no different. I mean, the, assess the assessment really is no different whether you're teaching online or you're teaching face-to-face. -face. It's about mm -hmm. what are the outcomes that um, that you're expecting from your course and how are you measuring those outcomes and whether you're doing that face-to-face -face or remote, it really is the same. It is the same process. It's just um, a lot of faculty are really inexperienced uh, teaching in a remote way, and it's different. And you, you've done it. You know it. it is, it's different. It's quite different. Mm -hmm. Very different. And you alluded to at Oglethorpe and your experience there. You were recommended unanimously to assume the presidency. Did you say Nechi? I like that, right? I was going to say New England Commission, but I want to use that little yeah, acronym that Nechi. Okay, I like that. So you were recommended unanimously. You have such a wealth of experience from being the president at Oglethorpe and, and guiding them through um, some, I guess, what should I, what would the word be? I would, would it be challenging as far as the, some of the things that you had to overcome and how you were able to navigate and, and turn that college around and turn that university around and they were struggling and then you were able to lead that transformation. They were you doubled the class size. You were able to implement some spending safeguards. You you were able to secure the financial outlook. You've been through the fire. So from your perspective as having been able to do all that, what would you 
what advice or what tips or strategies would you give? You talked about faculty not being experienced and not necessarily understanding online learning. For those leaders that are out there and listening and, and just trying to get a handle on how to train faculty, how to look at the financial aspects, what they need to do for the fall, from your 15-year tenure at Oglethorpe, what are some guiding principles that you used in order to be so successful and, and come through all of those, those trials and, and tribulations and obstacles that you did there and be so impactful there? Right. So um, I could say a couple things. One is that, you know, 15 years ago when I started my presidency and I would talk about a what was our sustainable business model, you know, people would sort of look at me sideways and say, what, you know, we're not a business. So, we're, we're, you know, where is that, you know, why are you even using that word? Um, I think 15 years later, uh, that's a conversation happening on a lot of campuses. And those are the, you know, that, that sustainable business model is a, is a phrase that people don't, React as negative, negatively to some still do, but um, and so you know when uh, when you understand that this sort of independent colleges are a business. I mean, they're they're a very different kind of business um, than you know Coca Cola or Chick Fil A or whatever. You know, I mean, it's a very different kind of business with a very different purpose. But they, um, but from a financial perspective. It is a business, and you can go, and you can go out of business. Um, and so there's um, there's a revenue side of the house, and how one drives revenue. Um, and our focus was always on on net revenue, you know, not not our sticker price, but actually what what was the cash coming in the door. And and that's an easy one to focus on, and everybody wants to grow enrollment and add programs. Um, not easy to do, but every you know it's uh, that tends to be where the focus is. But I, I had a pretty laser focus on what we spend because if you if you're only focused on what you bring in and you're not you're not attentive to what you spend and you're not trying you don't align what you spend what you bring in then you'll get in trouble. You know, and we've got Netchi accredits. You know, we accredit institutions with 20 students, 50 students. 80 students, 300 students. You you can be healthy and not be big. Again, if you're attentive to aligning what you spend with what you bring in, and that in fact, I mean, and that's probably the hardest thing for a president and a board to do is to sort of look at to look at both and to sort of understand that many schools. Um, are spending at a level they can't afford and will never be able to afford. I mean, because the budgets of these schools that, you know, it, it, it's all in people. I mean, it's very hard to change what you spend on utilities. and But, it, you know, you, the, the money is in people, and so when you are trying to sort of right-size the expense side of the budget, you are impacting people and people's lives, and that's it's just really hard to do. And... Um, uh, and schools, I think, and leaders often sort of, and boards are sort of late to the game. And, you know, you might look at their finances and go, they've been, you know, it's been 20 years where they've 
had an unsustainable business model and, you know, now they're on the verge of closing and they're trying to fix it all within 12 months, very hard to do. So um, I was fortunate to sort of be able to do that and to have a team that led that and to have faculty and staff and board that were supportive and and then we also grew revenue. So, I mean, it, um, we, we, we managed to contain our expenses um, and grow revenue and that's, I mean, it, that's how we ended up doing so well. And now we were fortunate, you know, we're in the South where demographics are favorable, we're, we were in Atlanta where kids wanted to be. Um, you know, and I, had a, and I had a 15 year run with a very stable board and that's rare. That, that I was just talking to a president 20 minutes ago and he was the sixth president in seven years um, oh, wow. at his institution and that's you know that's extreme but I we come you know you come across a awful lot of institutions where the there's turnover at the top and that's really hard to to design and build a plan and stick to it hey guys this is Joe you heard from MDT marketing at the beginning of the episode please take the time to go to learn.mdtmarketing.com to download their 2020 marketing strategies guide for free. Yes, I just said for free. I've known the team at MDT Marketing probably going on 15 years. Their uh, president, Mitch Talenfeld, and I talk all the time. You know, these guys are super knowledgeable. They want to help higher education institutions succeed. No strings. Go download the guide, learn.mdtmarketing.com. We all need tips. Now that schools are operating online, this guide will give you those digital tips. Go download it. Let me ask a question about sustainable business models because I think that's, <clears throat> that's a really good point. Um, and you know that there's a number of institutions out there that, um, like you said, are, are thinking, okay, we need to innovate our business model. We need to come up with something brand new. We've got to do it within 12 to 18 months. It needs to be done right now. But wait a second. We have internal committees. We have a faculty senate. We need the voting on this. We need the voting on that. Wait a minute. Slow everything down. We've got to get it through the board. Does the, the, does the I don't know the right word, bureaucratic maybe? Uh, 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 does the bureaucratic structure of higher education and that may not be the right word, but it's the one I'm going with right now. Is it conducive to business model change in a quick environment and in a quick time period? It can be. Uh, and it, yeah, I mean, I, I've got, there are plenty of cases where um, this is sort of a, in the shared governance model where the, the board and the administration and the faculty come together and um, successfully change the way they're doing things. And, and then there are plenty of cases where that doesn't happen. So it's, it's not necessarily the model itself. It's, you know, sort of across the board impossible to create change. Um, it's sort of the, the ability of the people and the understanding of the people and, you know, at the particular institution. Um, so yeah, it, it's um, there, there. There are lots and lots of cases of 
of, of colleges and universities that have um, successfully turned and, and made significant change. And it's happening as we speak. And um, yeah, yeah, uh, it, it's a you know I had a lot of business people on my board, and they would they would you know sort of look at me and go, I can't I can't for the life of me figure out how you how you can operate in this circumstance. And you know it's just a it's a it, it's a different way of doing business, but it's um, it's been pretty successful for an awful long time. Right. Well, talk to me about innovation, right? So innovation going down that same path. As, as, the, as the president of an accrediting body, you must be looking for innovation at the point. And I say you must be, I'm assuming. I'm assuming that you must be looking for any type of innovative ideas, particularly when it comes to schools. You're talking about financial reports uh, or at least financial updates on enrollment, right? And that, and that says to me um, – and, and again, this is me assuming here, but you want to see how the performance is uh, with a school to see how their fall enrollment ended up to decide whether that's a concern, you know, because of their financial position and it's leading them towards closure, or it could be an anomaly and you're going to say, all right, get back to us in six months and let's see how spring goes. But I think that update probably gives you some level of forecasting the, the viability, the college viability. Yeah, exactly. um, And so is that correct? Is um, are you open to innovative models? And it looked like the UMass Brandman thing that they got going on there, where UMass is uh, is uh, has contracted or hiring Brandman to offer their online division instead of them investing in that way uh, internally. Do you go, yeah, good job, guys. That's that's an innovative model. Um, I'm sure you don't comment one way or the other on your feelings on the, on the model itself. But does the from the accrediting standpoint, are you going? You know what? The more innovative, the better. Right now, because we want institutions to survive. You know, not we're agnostic on how any particular institution chooses its path forward. I mean, we've got this extraordinary diversity of institutions. You know, in 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 New England, I mean, we've got Harvard, we've got Southern New Hampshire, um, dozens and dozens of community colleges. You know, highly ranked private liberal arts colleges. You know, Williams and Amherst and Middlebury and and uh, and then little religious institutions. So it, you know, we don't we don't choose for them. Um, some some schools choose to take a really innovative approach. Some schools choose to sort of double down on on tradition. Um, uh, some schools are, you know, there's there's mergers and acquisitions going on. Um, again, we're not, uh, we don't have a favorite approach. We just um, we just insist that whatever plan and whatever approach a school has is, you know, is attentive to student success, is attentive to quality, um, is is financially sound. I mean that's you know we have we have nine standards that we apply and it's the, the same standards we apply to Yale as we apply to Bunker Hill Community College. Um, and they sort of get applied in a different way, of course, because schools have missions and the standards are sort of cast against individual missions. But um, you know we're we're agnostic as to as to um, any particular approach. Um, okay, I think that's fair. 
you know that's that's good because I think um, you know that's the institution remains uh, remains uh, self um, directing right and you're assuring um, that the standards are met if you if you feel comfortable uh, I won't ask it like uh, like as a number but from your perspective there's and you said it there's a lot of a, a merger and uh, acquisition activity is it 50% more than you would have expected it to be? Is it 100% more, 5% more? And can you give me an idea or give our audience an idea? Because a lot of people say, if you go on LinkedIn and you look, oh, mergers and acquisitions are going up, closures are going up, everything's going to, you know, all these things are happening. And I don't think there are actually too many people that have a good idea unless you are A, the institution who's merging uh, or thinking about merging, and maybe they're board members, and two, the accrediting body that is seeing the requests and getting the updates for mergers and acquisitions. So can you give me an idea of the activity from a broad view that it's that it's frequent, it's not frequent? I mean, however you want right. to, you know, quantify it or or, or not. So if you, if you look on our, on our website, we've got a link to the historical, I'm not sure how many years it goes back, but of mergers and acquisitions and closures historically in New England. Um, I think at one point we were we accredited some, somewhere maybe 250 schools were were sitting at 220, um, and that you know that so this, historically there's in New England there's been quite a bit of activity. Um, I wouldn't say. You know, as of today, the you know middle of uh, August, almost the middle of August, that we've seen a whole lot more in the last you know handful of months. But it's you know we're early in the COVID cycle, so do do I you know my sense is that the there there were a set of trends in New England. And, you know, and there have been over the last decade or two, and my sense is that COVID will accelerate those trends, They're not not really creating new trends, but accelerating those trends. And at what pace, I, that's hard to know, and it's also, um, you know, we don't know when the end of it is. So if, you know, if it's the fall semester and that's what schools are sort of fighting their way through, that's one thing. If it's the fall and spring semester, that's something else. If it's two falls and two springs, you know, so it's there, there's a lot that's unknown um, because we don't, you know, this is not sort of like a hurricane that comes and goes and, you know, you're you're cleaning up and you sort of have a sense of when the end of the cleanup is. And, you know, I think no one has a very good sense of the, of the cleanup. We just saw something from Dr. Fauci this morning, who, by the way, is going to be one of our keynote speakers at our December annual conference um, held virtually. But, um, you know, where he said if, if, if when the vaccine, if and when the vaccine comes, you know, and it's 50% effective, that wouldn't, you know, that wouldn't surprise him. Well, if it's 50, yeah, it's well, only, I mean, we're, we're going to be dealing with this longer than I think 
you know, I think that's been one of the realizations for higher ed institutions in general is that it's been a it's a, a evolving decision making matrix. Yeah, we can get back to normal. Wait, what's normal look like now? It's a hybrid normal. What does it look like when? Um, you know, one of the things I found uh, uh, telling was for, for some of the institutions and college presidents that we spoke to, regionally accredited. Doesn't matter with who at this point, but a lot of them are saying, you know, we're going to bring students back, but only through Thanksgiving because we don't want them to go home for Thanksgiving and then come back to, to the campus. We want to just send everybody home at that point. So you think about this level of decision-making flu season and, uh, and cold weather and w what that brings. I mean, nobody knows what the future holds, um, which is why decision-making is so hard. You know, yeah. I mean, this is Going unreal. And yep. yes, they're not coming back for this end of the first semester, but are they coming back for the spring semester? Right. Um, Good question. So yeah. you just be, you know, I was just out in, in Western Mass, and UMass Amherst just turned on a dime and gone from opening to not opening, really. You know. Um, well, my, my, uh, my, neighbor, uh, my, my neighbor, she has a 17-year-old daughter who's uh, in her senior year, which, boy, doesn't that suck for a high school senior right now who can't even go to school and see her friends and, and all that. Uh, and suck is a technical word for anybody that's listening that uh, is questioning, but it truly is. I mean, it's a, it, what a time. And then and I was talking to her about college and she was thinking about going away to school. And I said to her, what is this studio decision making? She goes, shrugs her shoulders and says, I don't know. I might just stay home and do online, you know? And, and so it's the decision making is changing. And so I want to ask you something. Um, and it's, it's, um, uh, Larry, it's a, take it how you will, but what's, what's the tough scenario for you? What's the thing that keeps you up at night when you go to sleep and you're dealing with 222 or however many member institutions? Is it, is it closer? Is it closures? Is that the one where you go, you know, you start sweating and wake up uh, and go, I, I've, I've, that's the one that scares me the most is institutional closures. Is it noncompliance? Is it, I mean, what is it that that's the big concern for you and your position as you get going here? Yeah, whenever there's a sigh, whenever somebody sighs before the answer, you know you've asked a good question. Yeah, so yeah, it's, for the record. Yeah, um, it's it, as as a president of a single institution, there's a lot of things that keep you up at night because so many things can happen from you know institution wide to any a particular student. And so I yeah, I, there, I spent a lot of not sleepless nights, but nights where you woke up thinking about something. Um, it's, it's, it's different here. We're, we're going to see closures because we've seen closures. So it's not, you know, it's, it's, it's not the next closure that keeps me up at night because I know, you know, one's coming because, you know, there were a handful last year. They're going to be a handful this year. So, um, you know, what you want to do, uh, with schools that are fragile and that could close, is that you you don't want to be um, you don't want to be surprised, and um, and to the extent that you're that that you understand where a school is, um, and that you're working with that school, and if a school is getting to that point where there's worry about closure, that um, 
You've got schools thinking about teach-out plans, making teach-out agreements, um, so that when a closure does come, the students are taken care of uh, as, as best they can. And so, um, you know, everyone points the, you know, the the case of Mount Ida, which was you know this sort of case that you know shook New England, but it, you know it was a national story. It wasn't so much because Mount Ida closed, because there's there were schools that closed before Mount Ida, and there were schools that were going to close after Mount Ida. It was um, sort of sense that it, it it took us by surprise. It sort of took everyone's by surprise. And when that happens, you can't. It's very hard to to do it gracefully. And um, so that you know that's again, it's not it's not the fact that we're going to see another school closure because we will, and we're going to see another merger, and we're going to see public institutions do some pretty dramatic things. But you you want to make sure that you're working with your institutions in touch with them regularly, understand what's going on, um, trying to be helpful to them in, in, in the process and and uh, and serve the public. I mean we've got a we've got a dual mission which is to support institutions, encourage continuous improvement, ensure quality, but also at the same time to um, you know to serve the public and not have the not have the students um, be disrupted any more than they than they need to be. Um, yeah, I, I get that. That's and that's a tough question and a tough answer. And Liz, do you you want to add anything in there or, or jump in at all? Um, I I guess my questions? only yeah I guess my only final question would be because you alluded to this a little bit about your annual meeting uh, taking place in December and how it's going to be virtual and you'll be inviting or your keynote speaker will be Dr. Fauci. How do you anticipate that your meeting will be different or what topics or uh, services or insight will you be offering your member colleges that might have been different from a year ago or will it be pretty much the same? What are, what are some of the things that you're thinking in terms of planning for that meeting at the end of the year and uh, what you'll be able to provide in terms of Support and guidance for your member colleges. Well, so it's 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 typically held over three days, and you know probably twenty twenty five hours of sessions and meetings. You can't you can't do that. Um, we we still may hold it over over three days, but it it won't be nearly that many hours because you your mind goes numb when you're staring at a computer screen for that long. <laughs> um, and it, you know, I think the two issues that that are that everyone's facing one is the virus, and that's why we asked Dr. Fauci if he would join us. And the other is um, is racism, and and uh, we're having Dr. Kendi from BU be uh, probably close out the out the session and from his. Oh, Dr. Kendi, that's awesome. Yeah, his new uh, anti-racism institute that he brought uh, he brought to BU. Um, we're also probably going to, you know, ask um, schools that have sort of dealt with dealt with the fall semester in a really sort of creative way to come present. So it'll, I think it'll it'll be focused on what's going on now as opposed to sort of general issues in accreditation. Be a little bit shorter, 
Um, uh, and it'll be interesting to see. We, you know, we um, we actually sort of expect we may end up with more people registered and online. You know, a because it's just easier to it's easier to do it, and it'll be a whole lot cheaper than you know coming to Boston and spending three days with us. So we'll, we'll see. It'll be, um, first one we've tried. We are doing our our visits now. Um, since the spring, have all been done remotely. So that's a whole other. You know, we used to send teams of six, eight people to a campus for three, four days, um, and now we're sending sending them virtually. So it's all happening on Zoom, um, and that'll that'll continue through the fall for sure. Where you know we're not, we, we won't be on campuses. We'll be we'll be virtually on campus. And that's and that's different. They've gone really well so far. Um, uh, uh, yeah. Well, so we want to be sharing. sensitive. Yeah, thanks, Larry. We want to be sensitive to your time, uh, and we we really appreciate you having me on the show. We've got two final things for you. Um, number one, the easy one: What does the future of higher education look like from your perspective? And number two. Anything that we missed, anything at all about uh, the New England Commission of Higher Education that you would like to say to our audience? And you can take those in whatever order you'd like. Okay. I'll do the second one first. It's just important to, to, to sort of always keep in mind that this is a, this is a peer review process. You know, I'm, the, I'm the president of, of NECHI, but I don't make decisions with regard to, to any of this. We have commissioners that come from you know all these peer institutions across the six states, and so these are peers, peers reviewing peers, which I think is a it's a process that has been in place a long time, and I think has worked very well. Um, and what do I think? You know, it, it's um, higher education. You know, has been around in New England for. Not quite 400 years, but we'll make you know um, probably getting close to 400 years, um, and it's an incredibly resilient enterprise. And so, you know, it 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 will it, it will evolve. It will adapt. Um, I think in many ways it won't look all that different. In other ways, it may. Again, I think it it just depends on what what the course of of, of this virus is. We haven't handled it very well in, in America, and so I think it's going to take us longer to come out of this than it ought to have, but um, we will eventually we will eventually come out of it, and, you know, there will be still hundreds of institutions in New England and thousands across the country that are still doing, you know, just terrific work, and um, so it, it it's, you know, not a I'm not a great prognosticator other than I can be pretty sure that um, the quality of what we, what our institutions do will, will remain um, extraordinarily high. Hope you enjoyed that episode. To learn more about the EdUp Experience, please visit edupexperience.com and if you want to be in on the live recordings, please sign up for our email list. 
go to edupexperience.com and sign up to be a subscriber. We'll let you know how you can listen in live and get the scoop before anyone else does. So, please, as always, feel free to share this podcast. Rate, review, and subscribe. We would really, really appreciate that. You've been listening to The Ed Up Experience, where we make education your business with your hosts, Dr. Joe Salustio, Elizabeth Liva, and Elvin Freitas.